All right, everybody, welcome to Ask Me Anything. I am Matt Love. I am here with J.D. Greer, and we are in our last episode of the Marriage and Family series. It's been a good one. We've been having a lot of fun with it. We've asked some really good questions, some tough questions, some interesting questions. We've got Veronica involved. Unbelievable stuff. Last question saved, a, uh, yeah, an interesting one. It's got a little meat on it. So, um, J.D., should Christians support gay marriage? So I think you can take this question in one of two different ways. Um, the first one is, is it biblically permissible? Uh, for somebody to say, I am a Christian, a follower of Jesus, and I'm gay. That's just how I'm made. And uh, I'm going to get married and be faithful in a monogamous marriage um, in, a, in a gay marriage. Um, that's kind of one aspect of the question. The other side, which is probably even more pressing for most of, of our listeners, is even if I acknowledge that it is wrong and sinful, is this one of those kind of live and let live areas? I mean, because not everything that Christians believe about morality do we believe ought, you know, should be put into laws that other people who don't share our beliefs should live by. Um, the New Testament contains literally hundreds of precepts that we don't think ought to be turned into laws. I mean, everything from how we give to the church and uh, to, you know, e- even sex before marriage is I don't know many Christians that are arguing, you know, let's make that a um, an offense that's punishable by jail time or fines or anything like that, um, even though we would believe that it's wrong. So um, let me just deal with both those parts of the question um, one at a time. Uh, the, the, the first part, is it biblically permissible for somebody to say I'm a Christian, and um, but I'm gay and I want to get married? Um, there are six biblical passages where homosexuality is specifically talked about. Every single one of them, without exception, the mention is negative, either prohibiting or condemning um, that behavior. And it's all, I mean, it's as clear as anything in the Bible is. First uh, Corinthians 6, 9 through 11 is a, just one example. Um, it refers to men who have sex with men is, is what it says in the Greek. It's a vice that would prevent a person um, it says from entering the kingdom of God, the two Greek terms that, that Paul uses, malakoi and arsenokoitai, are the common terms of the day that refer to a broad, a broad range of homosexual relationships, not just, not just, you know, one kind. Um, people's objections to this, they say, well, Jesus never spoke about um, homosexuality. And when I hear that, and I hear actually that a lot, that's a claim that's true only in the most technical and I would say unhelpful sense. No, Jesus never uttered the word homosexual. Um, but he also never mentioned by name, rape, child abuse, fraud, or idolatry. But Jesus' stance on each of those issues is, is quite clear. Um, there are two ways that Jesus could have established what was right and wrong in regards to sexuality. Um, he could have talked about every possible deviation, um, every possible variation of the wrong, condemning each aberration, you know, one by one by name. Or, or he could put forward a vision for what is right. Now, think of it like this. If five women were standing side by side and one of them was my wife, I could identify her in one of two ways. I could either go to the four who aren't my wife and say, that's not my wife, that's not my wife. Or I could point to the one who is and say, that wonderful woman right there, that is my wife. Jesus did, did that. He, he repeatedly affirmed the mosaic understanding of the sanctity of sex within heterosexual marriage. And by doing that, he disallowed you know, all other um, variations or deviations from it. Um, furthermore, saying Jesus never talked about it pits the words of Jesus against the rest of the Bible. But Jesus himself said that all the scriptures were inspired. And yes, there are Old Testament laws that are fulfilled in him. But but what, what it means is that the black letters in our Bible have as much as authority as the red ones when they're properly understood. The Bible has a straight line, all that goes from cover to cover, that says that 
sex is a, a gift of God that is to be enjoyed between a male and a female within the bonds of a monogamous marriage. The other objection I hear on this is that if people say, well, Paul, who talked about homosexuality in pretty clear terms, condemning it in the New Testament in his letters, the kind of homosexuality he was talking about was not the same as we know it today. It was more prostitution and rape and power imbalances and that kind of stuff, um, or pedophilia. Uh, and they would say something. In fact, I heard an Australian news anchor say this just the other day, and it's so, I mean, it's like you just, it, it shows a complete ignorance, almost a disdain for history. Um, he said, you know, committed same-sex relationships did not exist in Paul's day. So Paul's words don't don't apply here. It's There's a whole new thing we've stumbled onto with committed, mature uh, gay relationships. That is simply put, it's just not true. Historian Thomas Hubbard, who's not a Christian, by the way, wrote this exhaustive, um, and might I say exhaustively long, it's almost 600 pages, uh, work on homosexuality in the ancient world. Um, it's called Homosexuality in Greece and Rome. He demonstrates that homosexuality existed in a wide variety of forms, much like today, that included lifelong, committed, same-sex partners that um, Paul would certainly have known about. It was a part of, of Greek and Roman culture. Had Paul wanted to distinguish between the values valid and invalid forms of homosexuality, um, he certainly could have done so. In fact, he would have done so. I think it's safe to say. Uh, consider Romans 1, where Paul talks about humanity's rejection of God's authority. Because we rejected God's authority, Paul says, Romans 1, 26, God gave them, that is us, the human race, up to dishonorable passions. Their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Um, it's Richard Hayes uh, talking about this passage. He's a theology professor at Duke. Um, he says, Paul depicts gay and lesbian activity as an outward epitome of an inward posture that all men take in regards to God, and that is we reject the Creator's design. And uh, that takes its clearest picture in homosexuality because we're literally rebelling against the design of our bodies. And that's what Paul is saying there in Romans 1 is that homosexuality is, is kind of the epitome. It's the illustration of the creation's rejection of the creator's design. Um, so that's how I'd answer part one is that the Bible is not unclear on this at all. And so short answer, no. Two Christians could not say I'm gay, but I want to be in a faithful, committed uh, marriage. Here's the second part. And the part I said was maybe even more relevant. Can we believe that it's wrong? Can we say that and still allow marriage? Because Christians don't think every wrong thing should be illegal. Like I said, the New Testament has literally hundreds of precepts. And unlike Islam, for example, we don't believe that the government ought to enforce the vast majority of those moral considerations. Christianity, in the words of Jay Pachevsky, um, the, who wrote the book Evangelicals in the Public Square, Christianity is not a legislative religion. We don't tend to legislate all of our, our morality. You know, even in the Mosaic Law, Moses believed that divorce was wrong, but he still made an allowance for it. And Jesus acknowledged that. Hey, divorce is not God's plan, but the law has an allowance um, for it. So people say, well, shouldn't that be true about gay marriage? We can say it's wrong, but we're, we're trying to live in a pluralistic society so we can respect the choices of others, even if we disagree with them, tell them they're sinful, but still support gay marriage, just like we would support the right of a gay person to live and to thrive and to work and to, to be at peace in society. So should we apply that same mentality to to gay marriage? Um, the answer I would say is no, though I understand people who are saying we should. Here's why I would still say no. It's because marriage is such a fundamental building block of society. And more importantly, marriage is not something that government creates or societies create. It's something that we recognize. Um, in fact, let me deal with that first. Um, 
marriage is not something that society came up with. It was something that was written into the created order. In that way, it's a lot like our natural rights. Uh, the founders of our country, that you know, when they were putting together the U.S. Constitution, they didn't think they were coming up with rights and giving them the people. They said, "We are endowed by our Creator with inalienable rights." It was a, it was actually a major point that they were, they were just discovering these things. The Creator gave them, and they were just recognizing them. You see, the problem with the government creating rights or granting rights is that if the government can create it or grant it, the government can take it away. And our founding fathers, I think, correctly understood, no, these things are written into creation and government cannot take them away. The government is immoral or illegitimate when they are trying to. And see, that gives somebody like Martin Luther King Jr. the basis on which to appeal against the majority and against the laws of the land to say, you are acting in violation of the creator's order. All men are created equal. We know our founding fathers recognize God put that into creation and you, your laws and the majority of people are depriving a group of people, the African-Americans, the the black race here, you're depriving them of what God gave them in creation. And he was able to appeal beyond government and society to something universal. Um, well, see, we're going to say that marriage is the same way. It's put into creation by the creator and the government doesn't define it. It just simply recognizes it. And once you remove it from something that the government recognizes in creation as something they create, well, at that point, who's to say what the limitations are? If the government's creating it, why can't it be two people? Why can't it be six people? Why does it need to be exclusive? Why why permanent? Why can't you just say we're going to do it for a month? It's going to be a contract with an endpoint on it. Why, um, you know, why not a brother and sister? Why not a man and two women? Um, maybe multiple marriages where each partner is married to three or four different people. You say, well, I don't really want to go there. Um, but the point is you have to go there. Once you say that government is creating it or society is creating it, then that gives us the ability to, to edit it. We would say it's something that you you recognize. People say, well, you love who you love. I don't think you actually believe that because we all recognize that there are some limitations. Marriage has to be defined somehow. Um, and we recognize the creator designed it as a man and a woman in a monogamous, permanent relationship. Now, let me go back to that first thing that marriage is such a building block. Um, it is a, uh, a union between the different genders which is a place of procreation because it takes the two genders, one man, one woman, to create another human. Um, it's a place where the harmony of the genders and the home is seen, where love is demonstrated across those differences. You got all the different kinds of creation, man and woman, rec- you know, uh, represented there in one home. A man and a man, or a woman and a woman, do not bring to the table what a man and a woman bring. Uh, a man cannot be a, a mother, and a woman cannot be a father. Each brings something unique to the family that children miss out on when one of them is is not present. I mean, just ask the question, who's unnecessary for the child's formation? Is it the mother or the father? I have both daughters and a son, and I recognize that my wife and I play different but very important roles for for both of them. Um, Homosexuality in the home distorts a child's understanding of his or her sexuality. Um, When this breaks down, when this union, when this family unit or its centrality in our society is compromised, whether that's through same-sex marriages or or polygamy or whatever, then society itself is weakened. The family breaks down and society breaks down. Christians recognize that God wrote that into the fabric of creation, and it is an important um, relationship with the various dynamics that is necessary to human flourishing. So for that reason, I would say, even though I recognize that a lot of my Christian beliefs about morality is not something that I think should be turned into laws, I think that is something we have to continue to recognize that marriage is something given by our creator, like natural rights, that is fundamental to our societies and to 
how we understand ourselves, our gender, and our people that, yeah, um, our government should recognize only the rights that God gave and also the relationship of marriage that God gave the way that God defined it. Some people will take this question and say, well, what about civil unions? Maybe it's not a marriage. I think that's a whole different question. I can come up with reasons for and against, but let's just say that the arguments against civil unions are not as strong to me as the ones against gay marriage. And maybe that is part of a live and let live society where there's uh, people that choose to live together and they're able to take advantage of certain um, benefits that society offers. Um, would that be within the scope of the live and let live? That's a separate question. I, I kind of lean toward still no. It's because you're sort of like making it like it is marriage, just not giving it the name. So I would still lean against that. But um, just I'm acknowledging it's a different question because you're not calling it marriage and you're still preserving the sanctity of that relationship God put into creation. If I could just end by this, I, I do think we have to be wise, uh, just understanding kind of the times and what's what this is really all about. We understand that for most of the gay and lesbian community, um, marriage is not really the fundamental question. In fact, in places where gay marriage has been around the longest, like the Netherlands, somewhere upwards of, I don't know the exact statistic, but somewhere between 60 and 80% of kids are born out of wedlock. So it's not its not all about marriage. It's all about the normalization, the legitimization of, of the gay lifestyle. And that's something that as Christians, we ought to be wise to. I can still honor the person asking the question and try to understand it on their terms and, and realize that really the, the battlefront here is are Christians going to be okay with homosexuality and accept that as a choice that people can make that God and, and they must approve of? And I think a faithful Christian has to love, yes, the gay person, give his life for the gay person, to protect the gay person and to make sure that they are entitled to all the the, the rights that they're entitled to as, as human beings made in the image of God. But to say, I can give you that dignity and still not affirm this choice. Our world wants to tell us that there's only two responses to the gay community, affirmation or alienation. Jesus and Bible-loving people would acknowledge a third one, and that is neither affirmation nor alienation, but love and acceptance of them as people and protection of them, uh, respect for them, um, care about them, recognizing that they're a part of society, welcoming them into a pluralistic society, but not at all affirming what, what God, God prohibits. All right, thanks so much, JD. Really good stuff, really helpful. And uh, if you've enjoyed this podcast or you just want to get more from Pastor JD on, on topics like this, that maybe you're trying to think about how do I approach this as a believer, um, you can just go to jdgreer.com or look at any of his social media, but especially jdgreer.com. Blogs, articles, other podcasts, sermons, all that kind of stuff is their books all on his website. So if you're interested in getting more, go to jdgreer.com, and we will see you next time on Ask Me Anything.